You're listening to the Coverline Tech Service Podcast. This is Jack Walker. With me, as always, is the Director of Technical Service, Paula Jameis. And, uh, Paula... I, I really did, I really did actually get an email from somebody who sent that. And said, thanks a lot, Paula. LOL. <laughs> yeah, so, so people do listen to this thing? Evidently. Evidently they are listening. Even better than listening, it seems like some of them are retaining the information Shut that up. we say. I, you lies! <laughs> I had a different saying I was going to go with that, but since we get censored, yeah. I decided I shouldn't use that phrase. Yeah, we have to behave ourselves a little bit sometimes. I don't see the fun in that, Dwayne. All right, anyway. Paul, before... Did you ever see... Uh, did you ever see uh, Eddie Murphy's um, Raw? No. Was what was say, his was movie? Four. What was his movie? Uh, Nutty Professor. No. Back at Raw days. Beverly Hills Cop. Cop. Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. 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 That that's where I was going. The banana up the tailpipe. Yeah. That that was the movie, but the the scene that wasn't the scene I was going for. But, anyway. Yeah. Paul, if they wanted to tell us we don't know what we're talking about, how do they get hold of us? They can reach us at technical service at carbline.com. Jack's on Twitter at Jack underscore CTSP, and I'm on Twitter at Paul underscore CTSP. This week, we're going to tackle a topic that was sent in to us by Rob in Iowa. And Rob asked why baking is required for food grade lining service. So we decided to bring in an old friend of the show, Miss Mary Rowley, and we're going to talk about that. So here's the interview. Joining us again today on the Carboline Tech Service podcast is Mary Rowley. Mary, thanks for coming in again. Sure thing. No problem. I enjoy uh, meeting with you guys and being on the podcast. So just as a follow-up, last time we had Mary on, we got to talk about uh, some things that were going on, one of them being the award you got, and we got a lot of great responses back from that, a lot of people talking. So again, congratulations on that SSPC award that you got last year. Thanks. I, uh, I appreciated it. It was uh, really exciting and an honor to win that award, and it was the Impact Award for Women in Coding. So. A few times it's I've been referred to as the woman of the year or woman in coatings, <laughs> but it was Impact Award for Women in Coatings. We got an inquiry through the emails, through the interwebs, about food-grade linings and why it's required to do a force cure or bake with that lining prior to putting into service with food. So that's why we brought Mary in. She's got a lot more experience in R&D than either Paul and I does, and we figured, you know, we've done a couple episodes in a row where you've had to listen to the two of us talk, so it might be nice to have another voice, so let's get right into it. So, like Jack said, the real gist of the question is, why do we bake linings, coatings that we put on the inside of tanks or food processing areas? Why do we bake them before we put food in with them? Well, there's several answers uh, to that question, different reasons, I should say, why we would uh, bake the coatings that we use for FDA linings. And um, I would say, first and foremost, one of the primary ones, and what a lot of them will lead back to, is because of odor and taste. It's so important for the linings that are used for food cargo and food stuff that the uh, the food is protected from any uh, losing any quality due to either odor or taste. So by baking these organic coatings, what you do is you make them so they're ready to uh, to be in contact with their food cargo and won't impact it negatively due to odor or taste. The primary reason would be related back to that, but there's also other reasons why you would uh, bake the coatings and linings that are going to be in uh, contact with food. And so one of the primary ones would be if you need to bake for performance reasons. And so, you know, you guys answer all the phone calls about the linings. And so, you know what I'm talking about there, but like our phenolics. So, yeah, so like, like the baked phenolics, you have several different temperatures, some of them 200, 250, 
some three or four hundred degrees that have a required baking temperature. Yeah, so things like the Placite 3070 or 3070L being a single component phenolics, and those take the higher bake temperature in order mm-hmm. to get their performance properties. So if you didn't bake those coatings, they wouldn't perform as intended as a lining for foodstuff. <laughs> so you need it to get the performance of the coating in, in order to get that in order for it to crosslink and to react so that it gets its product performance, you need the uh, baking to occur. So if you go back and listen to episode 12, this is where we talk about the phenolics and how they actually completed their cure and how it kind of that was the chemical reaction that gave them their chemical resistance and actually cured the coating yeah you can think of the heat as being the part b you know we're going to give you a single part and the other part you get from heat Exactly. In that example, it's clearly needed in order to kick over and react to polymerize. You need the heat. Um, But there's other um, epoxy phenolics as well that if you put the heat onto them, then you're going to enhance the performance properties. You're going to further along the cross-linking that occurs. So you could need the heat for performance purposes um, as well as just for um, driving anything out that would affect the odor and taste of the FDA linings. Another example would be our solvent base. We have quite a few FDA products that are um, delivered in solvent, so they're solvent-based products. And you need to drive that solvent out because the solvent is one thing that is volatile and could affect the odor and taste. So in, with our uh, solvent-based materials, you got to drive the solvent out to finalize the cure of the product so that it won't affect the odor and taste. So there's no solvent trapped in the film. That would be another reason why you would uh, bake the uh, FDA linings. A lot of our coatings that are, we our FDA linings are used in the rail uh, as the end market. And so they're applied in a shop. And what's important in a shop environment yeah. is... They got to get that speed. 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 They need to move those, well, those rail cars. They're used to baking anyway. They yeah. bake whether it's FDA, not FDA. Yeah. That's just part of their process. Yeah. So they're looking for speed, speed of production, right? And so if it's more than one coat, they need to get in there and they need to get the second coat on. So it's speed of getting the next coat on. If it's a one coat system or whether it's a two coat system, they got to go in there and inspect it. Yep. And after in- inspection, they need to repair it. So they need to be able to get that second coat on. So so for reasons for productivity, getting the car through the process, as well as for getting it ready f- to be put into service, then they're going to bake those cars so that they can um, speed up the process through their facility. The last time Mary was in here, I feel like was when we all said suffixes matter together in unison. <laughs> so I feel like this episode, we have another one of those things. So kids, if you've been paying attention, what are the two most common reasons why we would bake our food grade linings odor and taste <laughs> it's that time again it's that time to remind you that carboline pays the bills for this thing so we'd like to take a minute to talk about the carboseal 985 carboseal 985 is a versatile polyaspartic floor coating that you can use with quartz metallic You can put flake in it. You can use it neat. It has a very long working time with a quick return to service. You're usually getting about a 45 minute working time and you're walking on it in two hours. So once again, that's the Carboseal 985. For more information, go to www.carboline.com. So all of the things that I uh, talked about are, you know, to drive that reaction, to drive the cross-linking, to drive the things out that it would affect odor and taste. The equipment that's used for a lot of these linings is um, that they're sprayed. 
they're spray applied. And so in between uh, jobs or in between days or, you know, they need to clean out that equipment. And so I would imagine in most cases they're cleaning it out with solvent and it's hard to get all of the solvent out of the equipment that they're spraying with. When they're preparing the cars for the, uh, the application of the material, there might be residual things left behind as well that the baking will help take care of as far as driving anything out that can affect that odor and taste. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I that I realized it was before I came to before I came to Carboline, I was working for a food coloring company and I was truly amazed on how much honestly corn syrup is moved around the country. I had no idea that so much, and, and most people probably don't ever think about it. You mean it, happiness? Yes, yes, that is what my children call it too, is is it is happiness. <laughs> my, my wife does not allow high fructose corn syrup in our family's house, and our children have referred to that as happiness. <laughs> because high fructose corn syrup makes it taste better. So... <laughs> But it is amazing how much we move that around the country. And we move it in rail cars. And when I was working for this food color company, we had to make a lot of simple syrups and corn syrups we worked with. And it's amazing how quickly they will absorb flavors. So whatever is in, I mean, sometimes it was just the vapors in the area would bring it in. So if you think about putting hot corn syrup into a rail car, if that rail car has any residuals left in the linings that it can extract into it, it's almost like they suck it into the corn syrup. It's amazing how fast that'll happen. So you really do want to make sure that you've cured these to get all of the residual solvents out before you put something in there like that. If you've ever smelled solvent while you're, you know, if you're an applicator, you're a painter and you've ever smelled solvent, I'm pretty sure you can relate to the fact that you don't want to taste that yeah, or, or smell it in your food, you know, odor and taste. Taste. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to mess you guys up and say taste, taste and, and odor, odor next time. <laughs> so as we wrap this up, basically what we've been talking about are some of the re restrictions or requirements or guidelines that are given to us in the Code of Federal Regulations, and that's the 21 CFR 175.300. And if you remember back to episode 28, we talked about this in episode 28, specifically when we were comparing this with the USDA requirements for indirect food contact with, F with USDA and direct food contact with the FDA requirements. Yeah, I guess that's a point that doesn't hurt to be made again since it's such a frequently asked question. FDA's direct contact with food, they're the ones who govern the coatings and linings for that. USDA is the one that governs the coatings and lightings for use in a food manufacturing plant. So if you're doing the walls in a food manufacturing plant, you just need USDA certified coatings. If you're doing the tank that holds the food in that food food processing plant, then you need an FDA lining. Right. And we're going to say food generically. We're talking about anything that you're going to ingest, whether that is drugs, medications, cosmetics. That's why it is the FDA is the Food and Drug Administration, mm -hmm. and it governs all of those that we're going to actually consume or ingest. So really, just to make sure that everybody has a clear understanding of what we're talking about, this 21 CFR 175.300 is the Food and Drug Administration Indirect Food Additives, and it covers adhesives and components of coatings, resinous, and polymeric coatings. And by indirect additive, really what we're talking about is things that weren't specifically designed to go into the food, but would be in contact with it and could have something come out of that material and go into the food. You mean we don't put paint in food? Uh, you know, it, it, I told you I worked for a food coloring company. That's kind of how I've always considered you say, it. say, aren't blue M&Ms your fault? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, we, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, send the hate mail for the blue M&Ms. I don't even know if that's a thing. <laughs> I know people freak out when there's a new color of yeah, M&Ms or yeah, Skittles or something like that. But, yep. uh, well, I will get on board with the Skittles one. You can, I'll take. Why, why we got to have green apples? Like, what happened to the lime? No, see, I didn't work green on any of lime. those. I didn't work on any of those. I did work on Rainbow Goldfish. Oh, that's your fault? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Nobody should ever eat those ever. <laughs> I mean, sorry, Pep- Pepperidge Farms? Yeah, Pepperidge Farms. Yep. Well, I think that about does it for this week. Mary, thank you very much for coming in again. You're quite welcome. Anytime I'll look forward to the next time that I can come and join you and be a part of the podcast. We'll do one on a Friday afternoon later and have a drink. Sounds great. Well, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next Monday. Who put the line in Carbolic.